TED Audio Collective. I want you to think about the last time you felt undervalued at work. Maybe a role you felt you deserved was given to somebody else who, shall we say, wasn't as skilled or qualified as you. Or maybe you were super excited about a new job you interviewed for, only to learn the salary was way off from your expectations. Or you did get that job with a great salary, only to find out that others are questioning your ability to do it well. These situations happen regularly in organizations, and lately, more discussions are being held about how often women, and particularly women of color, face them. And while the onus shouldn't be on women of color to advocate for themselves in workplace situations where they're undervalued, discriminated against, or overlooked, they've had to take action. I'm Madhu Bakanola. This is TED Business. Today, instead of a talk, we'll be listening to an interview that we'll discuss over the next two episodes. In this first episode, we'll hear from Deepa Prashathaman, co-founder of Enformation, an affinity space for women of color corporate leaders who know all about these challenges. Deepa shares some lessons from her book, The First, The Few, The Only, How Women of Color Can Redefine Power in Corporate America. She then interviews a guest about a challenging experience at work and offers advice about how to handle that situation in the future. Then after the interview, I'll share a few nuggets on how to stand in your power when challenging situations arise at work. But first, a quick break. This show is brought to you by Schwab. With Schwab Investing Themes, It's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy as is or customize the stocks in a theme to fit your goals. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Hey, TED Business listeners. We're supported by our friends at Working Smarter, a new podcast from Dropbox exploring the exciting potential of AI in the workplace. Working Smarter talks with founders, researchers, and engineers about the things they're building and the problems they're solving with the help of the latest AI tools. Tools that can save them time, improve collaboration, and create more space for the work that matters most. On Working Smarter, hear practical discussions about what AI can do so that you can work smarter too. Listen to Working Smarter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit workingsmarter.ai. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive Home and Auto Policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. 
Add a little curiosity into your routine with TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll go beyond the headlines and learn about the big ideas shaping your future. Coming up, how AI will change the way we communicate, how to be a better leader, and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. 13 years ago, I had just made partner in my large global services firm. I was one of the first, one of the only, and I was celebrating in New York uh, with a friend, someone I'd gone to business school with, um, a really close friend of mine in the book that I wrote. I called him Walter. That's not his real name, but we're going to call him Walter for today as well. And Walter and I were sitting in a bar in in New York. Um, We were going to have a big dinner to celebrate our collective successes. He had just gotten promoted to partner in his firm as well. And the waiter had just delivered, you know, champagne, put two glasses in front of us, and we were toasting. We put the glasses down, and I started to tell Walter, I, although excited, um, and it was a hard one uh, process to get there. It's almost a year and a half process, you know, in addition to all of the other years of getting there to make partner. You have to audition, and there's lots of steps to it. Um, I was really excited, but I was also really nervous. I felt all eyes were on me. I felt like what I did next would really, you know, not only reflect on me, but would reflect on other women of color around me. And so I was sharing with him I was nervous. And without skipping a beat, Walter turned to me and said, you have nothing to worry about. You are golden. You're going to skate by. You're a twofer. You check two boxes. Nothing to worry about. He said, but people like me, I'm a white man. I'm going to have to work harder. I'm going to have to work harder to earn everything I get next. You're going to be handed things. And I just remember feeling deflated. I went from this instant high and I'm sitting with one of my best friends and we're going to have this great meal to just, I had the bottom fall out. And I couldn't put words around what I felt. I felt pain. I felt shame. I felt confusion. And I felt my joy leaving in that moment. And I don't know that I got it back for the rest of the dinner. Um, And what was so hard about it is Walter was a good friend and I didn't have words for what I was experiencing. But I now, you know, I've thought about it a lot since then. Now I know that some of what I was experiencing is what women of color face in the workplace. You can have the highest high and in the same moment, someone just says something or does something and it just doesn't feel right. It's just wrong. And it just, you know, high and lows in the same moment. And so we're going to come back to the Walter story uh, later because there's a lot more to unpack there. But for now, I just want to leave that story with you to, you know, kind of set context for what we're going to talk about today. I, I believe, you know, Walter had no ill will in what he was saying. I don't think he even understood what he was saying, which is also part of the challenge in, in topics like this. But it really affected me. I worried about not only Walter, but I worried about what do other people think? Does everyone see me and think I got this huge role because I'm a twofer, because I check two boxes, that it's not because of how good I am at what I do, but because of what I represent. You know, I've now come to learn I can't worry about that, but at the time it really weighed on me quite a bit. I left that job a few years ago. It took me almost three years between knowing I wanted to leave and leaving. And it took me three years because I felt such responsibility as one of the only women of color sitting at the seat. I felt not only responsible to myself, but to the women of color around me. And I wanted to make sure that my leaving and my quitting and my exiting wouldn't reflect badly on my own, (laughs) my own performance and my own capabilities, but wouldn't reflect badly on others who came after me, that people wouldn't say, oh, she couldn't hack it. 
Um, and so I really sat in wanting to leave and not being able to. And so what I started to do is I started to gather women of color, initially started one-on-one, -on -one, and I wanted to figure out, you know, where does someone at a senior level go? With help of uh, my now business partner, I did 12 dinners across the country with 20 or 30 women of color each. What I heard was story upon story around microaggressions, around racism, around how women navigated spaces where they felt alone. Those conversations became the basis of, of the book we're going to talk about today. It also became the basis of the company that I founded with my co-founder. It's called Information, and we provide safe, brave, and new space for women of color. I also just want to end with maybe just three concepts that are really big in the book and maybe a little bit of a foundation for what we're going to talk about today. The book is about women of color and finding power, forging power. Um, and one of the, the biggest ideas in the book is that corporate America is not a meritocracy and that we need to talk about that. Um, at least in the American context, until about two years ago, until George Floyd's murder, we weren't able to talk about race at work. It wasn't something that was acknowledged or I feel like we had permission to talk about. And there definitely wasn't willingness or openness to the idea that corporate America wasn't a meritocracy and that it shows up differently for different people. And it's such an important conversation to have because without it, I think certain groups are told to just keep working harder and harder and yet not really um, able to understand or even talk about the fact that the system does treat some of us differently. And we need to talk about that if we're going to change it. So that's one big concept. Corporate America is not a meritocracy. The second concept I want to talk about is that we all can have power. We are all powerful. And I believe we find power through the idea of me and the idea of we. And so we need to go through our own process as women of color to figure out what are narratives that we've been taught or told or ideas that we've been taught or told that we need to undo. I call that shedding. Like, how do we get rid of those messages that we're not powerful, that we're not leaders, that we're not enough? And how do we replace them with healthy messages? That's, again, the power of me, what you need to do for yourself to find your internal and individual power. But then once you find it, you need to find your sisters. You need to find other people if we're actually going to change structures. You cannot do that by yourself. And that's where the power of we comes in. So me and we and that we're all powerful. That's the second, second thing I wanted to mention here. And the third and final, although there's many, many, many big topics in the book, is that this idea that anything that has come before can be undone and redone. I think sometimes we think of big things like structures and systems, and we think that's just how it is, and we have to operate within those contexts. Well, I interviewed over 500 women of color in writing this book, and I don't believe that. I think we can undo anything that has come before. We just have to give ourselves permission to do it. And I also think this is where it's not just upon women of color. So I wrote this book for women of color, but I'm going to share with you that it's a lot of allies, white leaders, men and women and others who are picking it up and saying, this is really helpful for me to understand. And a lot of the concepts apply to me, too. One other thing I want to share that, you know, I use the term women of color. I know that's not applicable in all countries, um, but I do think the concepts we're talking about are applicable, you know, in, in most contexts where there is a majority and a minority sort of dynamic going on in that sort of power struggle. Um, well, well, thank you for being with us and um, thank you for, for sharing um, those, those tips from the book and also the, the story that you shared at the top. Um, you know, you tell this Walter story, then you go through this whole journey that you've been on. If you were back in that, in that restaurant again today, what would you say to Walter now? I now would say like that's about him and it's not about me. It's not a reflection of my worth or my abilities. That's his like very narrow vision on how he sees the world. Um, so that's one thing. So I, I probably wouldn't have like internalized so much of that and set better boundaries. 
I think the other thing is I might have just gotten up and said, okay, if that's what you think, I'm, I'm out. Like, I don't need to sit here and have the rest of the dinner with you, right? I subsequently did have multiple conversations with him just so, you know, to try and get him to understand what he said. We are not as close as we used to be, and that has a lot to do with it. And so I had to, you know, just accept that certain people aren't going to get it. I think the other thing I might do is explain how it made me feel. You know, that really hurts me because, and I need you to understand what that does and what you're suggesting in the in those words. And so I might have better responses. And I really encourage women and everybody to have kind of responses in the moment because we're all going to face situations where someone says something inappropriate at work or says something inappropriate to someone else in front of us. And I want us to all have words around it. You know, another big idea in the book is this idea of scarcity, that there's certain seats and that, you know, my seat is taking a seat from him is a really old way of thinking about the world and thinking about power. I believe power can grow. I believe the pie can grow. And if we all continue to think narrowly that there's limited possibilities, I just think we're stuck in, in a very unhealthy way of working and a really unhealthy way of being. And we're really fortunate today to be joined by a few women um, who are, are like in many ways, the women whose stories you shared in the book um, and, and can share their own stories to help to really uh, ground uh, some of, of these concepts in, um, in real experiences. So um, I, why don't we turn things over? We have our, our first um, guest joining us, um, Gina. Uh, so I'll leave you and Gina to have a chat. Um, I'm really excited to have you here, Gina. And so I think the question I want to ask you, and then we'll unpack this, is just can you share a story of when you didn't feel powerful as a woman of color at work? And then we'll talk about what else we could do around it and what else we hope to, to learn from it. Throughout my entire career, I was always fascinated by this whole notion that I felt sort of like I was being overprepared uh, for these situations where maybe there was a promotion or some particular opportunity for visibility. I would be quite prepared, qualified, temperament-wise, ready to go. And I would go through these very extensive selection procedures and discover at the end that in this case that I'm thinking about, there was this gentleman who got this job that I really wanted. This particular situation, I was told that the reason was because it was that person's turn, which basically means you know it has to do with how long you're in the group or in the organization. And that was really confusing for me because I'd been in the organization for quite a reasonable amount of time relative to this person. I was certainly more prepared in terms of experience, education, and all of those things. And it really got me to thinking, you know, what exactly is the value that this organization is seeing in me if, in fact, I bring everything to the table and still it's not enough? I had the opportunity to ask some questions, you know, like, um, what would it take for me to be ready for the next opportunity? Which is actually a question I really encourage others to always ask. And the response to that question was not satisfactory. It was vague. It was about time and job. And so, you know, the thing is, uh, Deepa, that it's really important for a person like me to know my why. Why am I here? What do I, what is my value? And then I can evaluate how the organization responds to me. The first thing that, that you know, stands out at me as you're sharing your story is this idea that a lot of women of color I interviewed, especially Black women, were told that they had to be two and four times um, as ready, right? You have to work twice or four times as hard just to even be seen as qualified. Um, there was such a message of overworking amongst the women of color I interviewed and this idea of perfection and having everything prepared and being buttoned up and almost overprepared because at some point your qualifications will be called into question. What would you encourage other women to ask so that they can figure that out? The kinds of questions uh, that I asked were questions about 
tell me, you know, what were the criteria that you used to make the decision? And that was when I eventually ferreted out that it really had something to do less with performance and capability and with these sort of more vague things that couldn't be, you know, documented. Um, so once you know what they say the criteria are, you can certainly dig into that and ask some more questions. But that other question about, well, what can I do differently to be ready for that next opportunity? That's a really critical question. Depending on the answer you, you get to that, you can say, well, do, is there someone that you can assign to me, a coach if I need one, or some other person who can help me you know, in this journey that I'm on? Because I really would like to be able to optimize you know, my contributions, and I know that you can help me. But I think we have to get more comfortable advocating for ourselves and finding ways that really uh, allow us to get, gain more information. Because you're right. I mean, the other data that I found throughout the book is that women of color don't often get feedback, Black women especially. Um, it don't get feedback in, in any sort of level of detail that's helpful. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, my pleasure. I, I think Gina's example is so beautiful because the, the question I get is, how do I stand up for myself? How can you advocate for yourself that isn't going to make people call you aggressive, right, or, or, or too over the top? And, you know, in the book, I called it a little bit of Goldilocks. Like, you, you can ask for things, but then you're also, there's backlash if you ask for too many things. And so it is hard. I think that's part of what we need to understand. I think the other thing I would say is this is also about sponsors and mentors, you know, and finding people that can help you navigate and help you understand cultures and pull you along as well. And one of my biggest challenges used to be I didn't see role models that look like me, right? I was a first. And so I think one of the things I realized over time is I had to pick and choose from other people that were around me to kind of find a leadership style that worked for me. And some of my biggest advocates were white male leaders who I initially thought I had nothing in common with. And through uh, conversations, through breaking bread, through finding other ways to interact with each other, we found commonality. And they really have advocated for me in huge ways. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Support for TED Business comes from Odoo. What's Odoo? Well, Odoo is an all-in-one management software with apps for every business need. Odoo has apps for CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, manufacturing, and everything in between. And they're all in one easy-to-use software. And the best part about Odoo? All Odoo apps are integrated helping you get things done faster and more efficiently. So when you think about business, think Odoo. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash tedbusiness. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash tedbusiness. I really enjoyed listening to this conversation because these topics are dear to my heart. As many of you know, I'm a professor at Columbia Business School and spend my days teaching and doing research on social interactions like these. How do you negotiate with a boss who sees the old you, not the new you, who deserves a bigger bonus? How do you react when someone says something that's offensive? Standing in your power at work, being confident, advocating for yourself are so important and tough to do. 
Deepa encouraged women of color to be ready when faced with inappropriate comments at work. Great advice. But sometimes even all the mental preparation in the world isn't enough. What happens when you literally draw a blank because whatever said is so offensive and the opportunity to speak passes you by? Well, I recommend taking some time that day to physically write down what you would have liked to say in the moment. What would your best self, who wasn't caught off guard, who is as eloquent as can be, say? Write down a couple of versions and share them with a friend or a colleague that you trust. Talk it through with them so that together you can come up with a response that makes you go, that's right, in your head. The reality is preparation matters, and the more you prepare, the less likely you'll feel like a deer caught in headlights the next time somebody says something dead wrong. Okay, that's it for today. Next time, you'll hear Deepa interview another guest and offer advice on the importance of bringing our full selves to work. Stay tuned for that. This episode was produced by Kiara Powell and fact-checked by Matias Salas. Special thanks to Anna Phelan, Michelle Quint, Corey Hagem, and Colin Helms. I'm Madhupa Akinola. Talk to you again next week.